The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Dennis Prager is one of America's most successful and well-known commentators and political entrepreneurs. He is the founder of PragerU, a huge conservative platform in the States. To discuss threats to Western civilization, I'm joined by Mr. Prager. What is the greatest threat to Western civilization today? In one word, the left. Well, it's two words. Not liberals. Liberals are a threat insofar as they vote for the left which is another problem. As I say in America, the left votes their values, the right votes their values, liberals do not vote their values. Liberals vote for the left, and the left is the antithesis of liberal values. That that liberals do not know this, I, I know why, but it's a separate question. But uh, I'll go back to my, my first statement, the left. I just wanted to distinguish them from the liberal. Everything the left touches, it destroys. I have a, a, a video at PragerU. I have a column on it. I think I list 19 or 20 things that the left has destroyed. The American Medical Association, okay, that's the chief medical body in the United States, announced a few years ago that birth certificates should not list the sex of a newborn because we're not sure what it is. The child may decide otherwise later. That's the American Medical Association. So not only is it antipathetic to medicine and to science, but it is the living example of how the left has poisoned medicine, not to mention music and art and universities. That's the threat to the West. One policy that many left-wing politicians throughout Western world, throughout the Western world have pushed in recent decades is mass immigration. And I want to talk about the consequence of mass immigration. Now, I'm not just going to blame, by the way, that on the left. I think in Britain, for example, under 13 years of the Conservative government, we've had mass uh, record levels of mass immigration into the UK. So it's not just a left-right issue. But I think generally politicians on the left are more open to having immigration, in particular to having diversity. They see it as a strength and to having multicultural societies. Do you see multiculturalism as a threat to civilization? Hmm. I am proud to tell you that I would say within weeks of multiculturalism being announced, uh, what was it, the 80s? Uh, I said, this This is the antithesis of Western civilization. America, as I noted, is multi-ethnic, but not multicultural. Multicultural means all value systems are equal and beneficial, an idea that is literally absurd. I mean, you have entered the realm of the absurd when you say that. If you cannot distinguish between value systems, then there's no such thing as values. When they say diversity is our strength, it is a typical line from the left that has no truth, but it is said often enough for people to believe it. So here's a challenge to the diversity is our strength idea. By the way, diversity can be a strength, if you are diverse in race, ethnicity, nationality, but not values. Okay, diversity in values is not strength. America had diversity in values on the slavery issue and vast numbers of Americans died as a result. That was a multicultural America. One culture was okay with slavery and one culture was not. But I have a very fun question Uh, Fun only because I have fun asking it. It's not a fun question. If diversity is our strength, whatever the hour is, British, Britain, America, whatever, why whenever the left comes out with a study from the UN or some poll on the happiest countries, do the least diverse countries always win? Finland is always up in the top two or three. Norway Denmark, how come? 
Uh, North Dakota, the state of North Dakota in the United States is not particularly diverse and has the lowest, among the lowest crime rates in the United States. Now, why would that be? You can't get a less decades, diverse society Europe, than Finland. And Western Europe in particular and they, has turns had out to be that they're very happy. from the Middle East and from African countries. So you're seeing a huge rise in the levels of the Muslim populations in many places like London and Paris and Sweden, etc. But it's, historically, America has has been separate to that in a way. America has been seen as a sort of melting pot of different cultures, of being as being a sort of success in this experiment of maybe not multiculturalism, but having uh, various different ethnicities in one country. Do you think that America is becoming more like Europe and more like Western Europe in terms of the failures of multiculturalism? Yes, because it adopted multiculturalism because of the power of the left. The, the term you used is, is, uh, is almost the M word. Like there's an N word, there's an M word. The M word is melting pot. They never use the term melting pot on the left. They loathe it. They like Je- Jesse uh, Jackson's, what is it, quilt. America's was great at it because I'll give you my neighbor, literally my neighbor, the, per- the, the, the man and woman who lived next to me in outside of Los Angeles. His parents came to America from Syria. So I, I lived next door eth- ethnically to an Arab, and I'm a Jew. We see eye to eye on every single issue, everyone, because we're, we have both been fully Americanized. That doesn't mean I, I, I'm a religious Jew. I haven't given up my Judaism, but, uh, but I'm an American. And uh, I, 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 un- until recently, I was proud of it. I now, I can't, I can't lie. America is disappointing right now. America is the greatest exporter of toxic ideas in the world today. And you, you've bought a lot of them in Britain, and, and they've bought a lot of them all through Europe. Uh, the, the idea that men menstruate is so sick, and yet uh, the elites of every Western country ram that lie down your throat. I mean, that, that, should be enough for decent people to reject the left. Just that phrase, men menstruate. I want to link in with the recent protests uh, in favor of Palestine in London yes, and across good. I, I'm glad. many ahead. American cities and, and European cities. You've seen huge mass protests in favor of Palestine. Some would say even supporting terrorists. And there's this, been, there's this slogan, Free Palestine. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's, of course. You know, of course you have. Is it moral to say free Palestine? Well, it's accompanied by a clear desire for the uh, for genocide. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. That means no Israel. There is no other case in the world, 200 plus countries, where people demonstrate for the annihilation of another country. Just as there was never any other annihilation of a people except for the Nazis. The Nazi, there is no difference. And I've never compared anyone to Nazis. I think it's, it's actually sacrilegious. But there is no difference in my mind between Hamas, Hezbollah, uh, Iran, the Iranian regime on the one hand and the Nazis on the other. The, the biggest single difference is that the Nazis hid their, their, their exterminationist policies whereas these people video it and are proud of it. Iran announces, we wish to annihilate every Jew in Israel. The raison d'etre of the Iranian regime is to annihilate Israel. The Germans hid their annihilationists. They hid it from the Jews. They didn't tell them, we're sending you to gas chambers. We're sending you to relocation work camps. I think for the sake of my country and for yours, I hope that not all of those people who were at those protests support Hamas and support these terrorist acts. Well, if, if they don't, they're, they're, they're fooling themselves, and it's irrelevant. See, one of the single biggest themes of my life is that intentions don't mean a damn thing. They are, in effect, advocating genocide when they support right now, when they support Hamas or Hezbollah or, or quote-unquote, the Palestinian cause. The Palestinian cause is 
eliminate Israel and substitute for it Palestine. That is the Palestinian cause today. It wasn't necessarily uh, when, uh, when, I don't know, the Oslo Accords were made. Although as soon as they were signed, Arafat sent out uh, suicide bombers to, to blow up uh, Israeli weddings and bar mitzvahs. But of course, there are millions of civilians in Palestine or in uh, Gaza and in the West Bank. And people have seen recent um, footage of people, you know, refugees and uh, devastated kind of bombed out areas of Gaza, for example. And, and, and you know, you can justify that absolutely from, from Israel's perspective. But I suppose my question is, when those people, if their intention is to say, I want to protect the innocent civilians in Gaza... There's nothing wrong with that, is there? I mean, can you make a distinction between people supporting those innocent civilians and people supporting Hamas? I suppose? Yes, I, I do. I, I don't make a big distinction because what, what would you have said uh, if you were a Brit uh, during World War II and, the, and there were demonstrators on behalf, only on behalf of German civilians? Would you say, look, oh, they're, they're very supportive of the British war effort. Uh, they know that the Nazi regime is despicable but they really care about German civilians, that would be a, a hard case to make. So this notion, oh, oh they don't like Hezbollah, they don't like uh, Iran, they don't like uh, uh, Hamas, they're just worried about uh, those civilians. Please use the analogy of World War II. The, there are those to this day who think the atom bomb was wrong to be dropped, even though it saved probably a million uh, Japanese lives, let alone mass numbers of American lives. After all, they were innocent and they were. And it was known, and Harry Truman, the president of the U.S., knew at the time, there are innocent Japanese who will die. Every Palestinian death is caused by Hezbollah or by, by, uh, by Hamas or the Palestinian Authority, whichever is involved in that particular war. Just as every German who died in World War II was the victim of Hitler and the Nazis, not a victim of the West. The reason I'm asking is because, as I said, there's been so many people protesting in London and those protesters have um, vandalized statues of people like Winston Churchill. They've done things which I think is completely abhorrent. They, some, some of them wore um, stickers which were literally supporting Hamas with the uh, paraglider, etc. So some, there are some really terrible people in those protests. However, Hundreds of thousands of people um, have gone on those protests, and I really don't want to believe that every single one of them is, a mor right. is morally wrong. And I know people who went on those protests who, who I just, who I know, they this is how they think. They think Israel is killing people in in Gaza, and I want to protect those right. civilians. So in Gaza. I gave the analogy: Britain was killing people in Germany, and Germany was killing people all over Europe. So, 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 so if somebody went to a demonstration on behalf of Germany during World War II, he would be a despicable human being. So do, do you think that those despicable human beings, in your, word, in your words, are, are sort of are ignorant? Are they willfully ignorant? What, what, why, are they, why do they think like this? I mean, Yes, they're willfully ignorant. That's right. If you would say to them, uh, do, well, they are willfully ignorant and they're, and they're willfully deceptive including to themselves, because I, I have dealt with this so much in my life. I mean, I, I, people should watch my seven minutes, uh, my debate in Oxford uh, on, on the whole subject of Hamas. It's as if I, I gave the talk yesterday. But I remember at, at a speech at Stanford University, and a woman, a pro-Palestinian a pro, uh, woman, uh, American, not, not of Middle Eastern descent, uh, came over and uh, said, I don't agree with you. Uh, I'm for peace. I go, that's that's lovely. I am for peace too, which is the truth. Uh, and I asked her, so are you for peace with Israel as the Jewish state or a Jewish state? And she said, no. So then you're not for peace. I said, so you're not for peace with Israel. You're for peace without Israel. And that's what all those demonstrators are, all of them. If there are demonstrators who think Israel has a right to exist as a Jewish state, then they are being willfully ignorant. Or they want to make their uh, family happy. They don't want to be, uh, everybody's going to the demonstration and I'm going to sit home. Most people are sheep, including most Westerners. But there is no possible 
moral explanation for attending one of those demonstrations on that side. What is the consequence of having so many people in Britain and in America who support The consequence support is getting people? Churchill's uh, statue torn down. That means your civilization is being torn down. These people don't happen to hate Jews and love Britain and, and, and love what you stand for, okay? They loathe what you stand for, but the Jews are in the way. There, the notion that Jew haters, Jew exterminators are the Jews' problem is the single stupidest attitude a non-Jew can have. That's the Jews' problem. That's like saying that, that, that cancer is, and then name a group, it's their problem. Cancer is universal. Jew hatred, whether whatever you think about Jews, okay? I don't even care if you love Jews or don't love Jews. It's irrelevant to my point. My, if it, if it, It's just a fact. Those who wish to wipe out the Jews wish to wipe out all that is good. They are not sweet people who happen to have a loathsome heart vis-a-vis Jews. That, that not massive numbers of non-Jews want to delude themselves like Neville Chamberlain did, that is because the ability of people to fool themselves is infinite. Because Chamberlain famously talked about Czechoslovakia being a faraway place of which we know nothing. Uh, but Israel, there are some uh, America First conservatives in America who say the same thing about you, that Israel. That is exactly correct. And I would I ask them rhetorically because uh, I don't they don't come on the show generally, but I, I would happily have them. But I would say, what is your argument with Neville Chamberlain? He said that Czechoslovakia, exactly what you said is what I have been saying. He said Czechoslovakia is not our business. And for that matter, uh, Hitler's anti-Semitism is not our business. Our business is Britain. Yeah, it cost, cost, cost the Brits a lot of lives, that naivete. So do you feel that Israel's fight is America's fight? Totally. It's, it's the Western world's fight. It's the fight of good versus evil. If this isn't good versus evil, and, and you can't even... Uh, and you can't even come to that conclusion that it's good at versus evil. That doesn't mean Israel's perfect. Good isn't perfect. Uh, America wasn't perfect. But the fight against the Soviet Union in the Cold War was good versus evil. When I was at Columbia University studying, and that was my field, Soviet Union, communism. I learned Russian. I went to the Soviet Union a number of times. I was at the School of International Affairs. This was my field. And I... I I was taught overwhelmingly by my professors that the battle in the Cold War was two superpowers fighting for hegemony. It was not freedom versus tyranny. It was not good versus evil. When Ronald Reagan called the Soviet Union an evil empire, he was excoriated by all the newspapers of America except, I believe, the Wall Street Journal. I want to come back to this issue of mass immigration and demographic changes in Europe and America because I'm so concerned when I see these people protesting and, and there are so many people in Britain and in Western countries who despise the countries that they are in. How can we reconcile that as a society, as, as Western civilization? What is the solution to this when we've imported so many people who despise our values, despise everything about Britain or America or wherever they're in, and they're here now, and, they've in, and they're not, they haven't integrated? So what do we do about that? The first thing you do is repent. <laughs> and and the, the people you called racist uh, for opposing this mass migration, apologize to them. Because it had nothing to do with race. None whatsoever. It has to do with values. If you bring people in who have opposite values of your society, you bring them in in enough numbers, your society will suffer. At least let's tell the truth. You don't want to blend into a free, open democracy, a tolerant democracy. You're a big problem in our midst. At least tell the truth. Truth is liberating. But do you think that multiculturalism is compatible with liberal democracy? Oh, I, did, I said it isn't. No, multiculturalism means multi-morality. But we have multiculturalism. So, so how yes, do we, and look, so look what do we do? What, what do you do? Repent. I, I have no... no at least answer. tell the truth. At least let, let there be a clear statement. Those of you who have come here now second generation, these are the values of, of, the, of the United Kingdom. If you wish to adopt these values, 
you are more than welcome. If you don't adopt these values, you are a threat to our society. We are not prepared to send you back or kick you out or whatever, uh, but we are not going to lie to you or to ourselves that we have a serious problem. We have better values than you do. For most Brits to say that, they would choke. For most Americans to say that, they would choke because the left has taught them that there's no such thing as better values, except left-wing values. They're better than all values. That's it. Say the truth. Then you have a chance. But if you lie to everyone, including that, that group that doesn't share your values, and lie to yourselves, and don't raise your children with your values, the issue isn't the hundreds of thousands or millions the issue is that the average Brit didn't teach their kid British values. The average American didn't teach his kid or her kid American values. If 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 the if the indigenous people, ironically, I'm using a left wing term, if the indigenous people of the West had values and taught it to their children, this would be much less of a problem. I don't think people even know what our values are. That is correct. And PragerU, you set up this organization, Prager University, to help educate people across the Western world in terms of all of the things that we've been discussing today, and particularly in terms of values and morality and politics as well. Do you think that your uh, organization has been successful in persuading particularly young people um, to have those conservative beliefs, to hold those conservative values? And, and the reason I ask that is because in Britain in particular, I think in the United States as well, but correct me if I'm wrong, most young people or a huge majority of young people support um, the left-wing parties. So in Britain, that's the Labour Party, I think, in the, obviously in the United States, the Democrats. So has your has your um, has your campaigning or has your education project ed- educational project been successful? According to uh, Google Analytics, we uh, the uh, over sixty five percent of the viewers of PragerU material are under thirty five years of age. We have over a billion views a year, so that's a lot of young people. You, I could prove it to you anecdotally if you just walked with me through any uh, airport and saw the young people who come over for selfies. So the answer, the best answer I, I know of is we have been inordinately successful, but not nearly successful enough. Why do you think that is? The latter or the former? The latter. Well, they do everything possible to suppress our videos. They, there's a relentless barrage of hate directed towards Prager University. Every major newspaper and website on the left, New York Times, LA Times, Washington Post, Huffington Post, all of them, they they have just ripped into PragerU with deceptive arguments and anger and hatred. That's one reason. Another is it's not easy to undo, uh, let's say, it's, what would it be, 16 years of left-wing indoctrination. From kindergarten to eighth grade, eighth grade, ninth grade through twelfth high school, and then twelve to sixteen, four years of college, and they, with almost no exceptions, it's a left-wing indoctrination. The issue is not that we're not persuasive. Oh, we are. The issue is they have been so inoculated against even listening for five minutes to a different view that we can't even get them to watch. Taking PragerU out of this for a moment, because it's not just up to PragerU to persuade young people to be conservative. I think it's up That's to right. many politicians and philosophers and thinkers and everyone to, to try and do their bit in, in, in persuading people. On a broader level, why is conservatism seen as so uncool, low status, and frankly immoral by many young people? So, the... They're separate questions. Uncool because uh, dis- destroying is cooler than, than conserving. 
let's listen to the greatest music ever written is uncool. Okay, kids, sit down. In the 18th century and 19th century, they wrote the best music ever written. Give me a, give me a break, man. And then, and then they'll far prefer listening to something that was just written. So the idea of conserving that which is beautiful, good, and moral is boring, unexciting, and uncool. Or at least that's, that's what they think. As the, the immoral part, that's just left-wing uh, lies. Well, America had slavery. That's true. So did every other society on earth, all through history. But it is America after Britain that abolished slavery. And that's the line I quote from Frederick Douglass, the great black American ex-slave, one of the greatest Americans who ever lived, one of the greatest black Americans. It was... Slavery of the black man was abolished by Britain and then by the United States. So they know nothing. The left doesn't teach truth. So you don't learn that every society, blacks, indigenous, Native Americans, Native New Zealanders, doesn't matter, all had slaves. So the question, if you judge history is not did you do every something everybody did, but where were you different? Were you worse like the Nazis, or were you better like America and Britain? That's, a, that's an intelligent assessment. Do you think that this issue of young people being on the left particularly impacts Anglo countries? Because if one goes to Poland or France or Italy, and you look at opinion polls there, there are actually more variations in terms of young people voting for conservative parties, even populist parties. So do you think that this is particularly an Anglo problem? I do, and I I, I don't understand why. The average French young person or middle-aged person, let alone old person, would laugh at the idea that men menstruate. Just laugh at it. But not New Zealand, not Britain, not Scotland... I know it is in the UK, but I'm isolating them. Not uh, Australia and not Canada. I, I don't understand why English-speaking countries have bought toxic stupidity more than any other. It's a puzzle. What about Israel? I mean, what's the cultural war like in Israel? In Israel, if you said a man gives birth, they would immediately give you the name of a psych- psychotherapist. The, most, the other fascinating thing I find about Israel is their fertility rate is still high. I was just going to say, that's right. And this is a really interesting Completely thing. Completely atypical of the West. So Israel, do you see it as a model for Western countries in terms of Israeli policies, on not just on fertility, and maybe it's not just the, the government policies, but it's more of a cultural phenomenon, but also, I suppose they're nationalist. I don't know if that's the right word, but they're sort of their belief in nation. Maybe that's a better way of putting it. Is that a, is that a model for us to, to, to copy? I, I think so. Uh, you know, Israelis, talking about what I said earlier, they're voted the, among the happiest people in the world every year. And nobody votes uh, Palestinians as among the happiest peoples in the world, or Jordanians, or Syrians, or Lebanese. So it has nothing to do with quote-unquote occupation. The generally speaking, the truly unhappy don't like the happy. Going back to these debates around Israel and Palestine, one of the interesting things I found is, or many people found, is that um, among the pro-Palestinian protesters and supporters, you have these queers for Palestine, you have these LGBT supporters, mm-hmm. and. To many people, this seems utterly bizarre, because if you know anything about the Palestinian authorities and how they treat gay people, um, you wouldn't be supporting Palestine. So what do you think explains this phenomenon? The left is the left. That's so basic. The left doesn't ask, is it true? The left doesn't ask, is it moral? The left asks, who do we want to destroy? America and Israel are, are on the top of the list. So you will say anything. The idea queers for Palestine 
would would, uh, would be like blacks for the Ku Klux Klan. But do you think it's a sort of um, th- there's this word that's become very popular in the UK discourse at the moment called vibes, and it's sort of this this idea that um, you you believe that this group is support you know the trans you've got trans you've got Palestine you've got net zero and the eco stuff it's kind of all encompassed in one kind of left what you call the left right so do you think it's sort of it's just an encompassing of these same things and all in all of these things into into vibes you know i support these people because they're part of my team or part of my group is that what it is that's what it is they don't make distinctions between each other because it's not morally based so they don't ask and it's not truth based so they don't ask is it true or is it moral they they hate Israel. I hate Israel. Therefore, I love them. Did we see these similar odd alliances during uh, the Cold War when you had people I don't know supporting the CND and Stonewall? And does this go back? Sort of is is this a historic phenomenon? No, I, I think this is much newer than that. I, I think the average gay at, at, in, was Stonewall in the sixties would. Uh, would have been very pro-America in the Cold War. My status as a persecuted group did not translate for many into hatred of America. My dad is a good example. My father uh, wrote his senior class thesis at the City College of New York on anti-Semitism in America. He's a Jewish man, obviously. And... So he was well aware, Jews who couldn't get into to law firms, Jews who couldn't get into country clubs, uh, Jews who were denied entry into, into Harvard because of quotas against Jews. And yet he believed that America was the greatest country Jews had ever lived in, except for, for Israel when it existed. He loved America and was well aware of its anti-Semitism. That was the general rule Th- that... This the irony is you have all this hatred of America among Americans when the the when any level of persecution is so much less than it was in the past. If if a black human being in America worked hard, they got ahead. That's the general rule. Graduate high school, get a job get married, and then have children. You follow those four, the odds are you will do well in life. Going back to this issue of, of status and um, how conservatism is uncool, how, do, how does one correct that? Hmm, that's a good question. And you've been trying to do this for many years, I presume. Through, through well, you we, and- we're, we're not bad at it because we have some cool young people who are both young and cool making the case. I'm cool, but not young. <laughs> but it, it, no, it is fascinating how many young people respond positively to me. I have a theory on that. It's, this is, it is a nonsense that young people don't take old people seriously. It is total nonsense. I've been speaking since I was 21. I am taken more seriously today than when I was 25. I know it because I'm the same person. I know what or how audiences react. There are built-in advantages to being older when you talk to young people, interestingly, if you make sense and you appeal to them, obviously. But you're appealing to a very particular group on YouTube who are watching your videos. But beyond that sort of, I don't know, that sort of echo chamber, if, or I don't know if that's the right word, but beyond that, that group of people... How does one appeal to the masses, as it were, who aren't, maybe they're not interested in politics or they're not really interested in history or culture? Right. Well, if they're not interested at all and they won't tune in, you can't. But if you can get them to tune in and they find someone appealing, then they, they can be affected. Look, we, we have very large numbers. Are you optimistic, in a sense, in terms of America's young population? Do you think that they are trending more conservative in any way? You should never ask me if I'm optimistic or pessimistic because I don't have use for either one. Optimists don't fight because they think everything will turn out good and pessimists don't fight because they think everything will turn out bad. And I only care that you fight. 
So if you're an optimist who fights, great. You're a pessimist who fights, great. I'm neither optimistic nor pessimistic. I never think that far ahead. I only know that if we continue on this path, we're doomed. But I'm not That sounds pretty pessimistic. No, because of an if. Ah. It's a very important thing. I'm, I'm not. We may not follow on that path. There are some people who say that Generation Z are trending conservative in terms of their social values. And despite uh, sort of TikTok being a very popular app and everything else, there are some people who say American high school kids in particular, those kind of younger generation, are actually becoming more countercultural against hmm. these left-wing dominant ideas. Do you see that? Do you agree with that? Have you seen evidence of that? There's some evidence of it, yeah. I mean, isn't the norm that kids rebel against their parents and teachers? Well, if they do, they'll become conservative. Their parents and teachers are on the left. Were you a rebellious kid? No. Uh, I, I marched to the beat of my own drummer all the time. But I wasn't into rebellion for its sake. It, it, it did not turn me on. And have you always been conservative? N not by name. I, I, I'm a Jew from New York, so of course I was a Democrat. Of course I was a liberal. As I say on, a, on your birth certificate in New York, they may not list sex, but they do list party, Democrat. And you can't change that. You might be able to change sex, but you can't change that. But Lee Zeldin might be changing that. I mean, the Republicans did pretty well in New York in the midterm elections last year. Yes, yeah, so this is what happens. The left destroys a city. The city elects a Republican to save it. The Republican saves it. And then they... they and the left destroys it again. Yeah. <laughs> so do you see that happening in New York? Because Eric Adams, he's obviously a bit more conservative as a Democrat. He's the mayor of New York at the moment. Allegedly, I don't know if you agree with that or not. But yeah, no, to a certain extent. He was certainly pro-Israel in his speech. And you talk about American Jews in New York, because American Jews are more pro-Democrat, right? That, that's, totally. that's a fact. And why is that? Because they associate right-wing with Nazis. And because they associate left-wing with moral. They have... Uh, it's unthought. It is completely Pavlovian. When you say unthought and ignorance of the left, do you think that that can be a bit off-putting for some people who are maybe on the fence? And it just I'm sounds sure it can be. I, I, I never ask myself, is telling the truth going to upset people? Uh, the answer is yes, but it's worth it. My dear fellow American Jew, you are not voting for FDR. You are voting for the Democratic Party of the beginning of the 21st century. It's different. It's not your friend. I want to talk about Islam. After 2001, obviously, uh, we saw the war on terror. And uh, more recently, the attacks in Israel have brought this, is this issue of Islam to our minds again particularly Islamism in Western countries, because that's what impacts us in, in our everyday lives. Do you think that there is a civilizational clash between Islam and Judeo-Christian, not values, but sort of um, Jews and, and Christians? Well, the way you put it originally was the better way. Values. Yes, there, values. Yes, there, there is a values clash. I, I can't believe that most Muslims would not agree they, they are absolutely, I'm talking about religious Muslims, they are convinced that Islam is better, truer than Judaism or Christianity, and therefore their values are better. And uh, if after ISIS and all the beheadings of innocent people and the rape of, of all these women that they conquered in the Middle East, and the fact that there's ver so few or so few Muslim democracies, and you're still not prepared to say there's a conflict, that's because you are afraid to. There's no other reason. It's cowardice. We're here at the ARC conference, and there are some people even here today who would say that 
some Muslims, I'm not talking about all of them, but some Muslims are actually our allies in the fight against liberal wokeism, um, particularly they're more conservative on issues of gay rights and things like that. Do you see there being an alliance between some conservative Muslims in, say, Britain and America? You can have allies with whom you differ on subjects A, B, and C and agree on D, E, and F. That's absolutely correct. And yes, that, that is happening. There are Muslims awakening to the fact that children are being to- told, you're not a boy or a girl, you'll determine on your own. So they're my allies. That's fine. But I'm not going to deny that there is a civilizational conflict. And how does one reconcile that conflict? Reconcile it with what? With the fact that so many Muslims are in America and are in Britain. And I'm not saying that all of those people yes. would, would think that there's a civilizational clash because they wouldn't. But there are, of course, there are some who do believe that. There's no answer to your question. You, you state what you believe to be true and you march on. And you hope that there will be a renaissance in, in, in Muslim life. And other than that, you, you pray that gradually there, there is an acceptance of Western values. I'll, I'll give you one a, a, a proposed solution, as it were. For people who support Hamas, let's say, perhaps they should be deported. Perhaps they shouldn't be in Britain. They shouldn't be in America. People supporting terrorist genocidal organizations... Why should, they have the, why should they have the right to be in Britain or America? I don't know. Did we expel pro-Nazis from the United States? I, I don't think so. So you think it's an issue of free speech in, in uh, a way? I, I pretty much do. If you're a citizen of the United States and you embrace evil, unless you act on it, there's nothing we can do. That's why it was not wise to let so many people in to begin with. I said that at the time. And, of course, the left called me a white supremacist, a racist. If you had any conflict uh, on the, with the idea that vast numbers of Muslims from the Middle East should come to America. And I just want to bring you back to something that you said earlier in this interview, that you can have a multi-ethnic society, but you cannot have a multicultural society. So what do you say to those people who, are, who, who do, who do uh, worry about, let's say, the decline of white people in America? Do you think that, is that a concern of yours? No, my only concern is the decline of the values that many whites have, in fact, supported. i much rather have an America of black conservatives than white leftists. So that's, that answers your question. However, as a, in general, which is why the left is anti-white, whites have carried on the banner of, of Western values. Do you think that there should be an immigration moratorium similar to that of the 1920s in America? No, we need we need immigrants to a certain extent. There should be a moratorium on illegal immigrants. <laughs> but the the left seems to not be troubled by that illegal immigration. Under Joe Biden, of course, there's been a huge spike in That's illegal right. immigration. Yeah. What do you think the purpose behind that is, if there is a purpose? Was there a motivation? Do you think the policy was on purpose, or do you think that uh, it was a complete accident, for example? A conflict between what and what exactly? In terms of Joe Biden's policy on illegal immigration. And? And the Republican policy on illegal immigration. The Republicans have not been great on this issue. Uh, Donald Trump was the... uh, was the voice of a new Republican Party on that matter. And uh, he had a lot of opposition within the Republican ranks. For much of my life, Republicans have been Democrat light, L-I-T-E. And that's been true here too, in Britain. But to uh, Trump's credit, and I'm not a Trumpista, and I'm not an anti-Trump. I'm pro-American values. But to his credit, he did awaken Americans to the problem of illegal immigration. And he was 100% right on the, on the subject. But you, you've had that in, in this country and in many Western countries with so-called conservative leadership who thought it's the sweet thing to do, let in a lot of people who don't share your values. Well, the inevitable happens when people who don't share your values enter your country. 
But particularly focusing on, on illegal immigration under Joe Biden, what was the motivation behind that policy of allowing so many illegal immigrants into okay, America? Okay, that's a great question. <laughs> uh, I believe that in many left-wing hearts is a desire to destroy America as we know it. And that is one example. They were not in, they would not be enthused if there were such a thing as a vast conservative immigration. I suspect the left would not be as enthused about vast numbers immigrating to the United States. Of conservative people. Yeah, but it doesn't exist as a, as a real threat. So I, maybe, maybe Cubans. Uh, there might be a fear of too many Cubans coming in. I want to end the interview by talking a bit about U.S. history. And this is a subject I find absolutely fascinating. Who do you think is the worst U.S. president of the 20th century? Of the 20th? Woodrow Wilson. Why? Woodrow Wilson began the movement toward progressivism. I mean, that's just, that's not a an opinion. That's a fact. He was the president of Princeton University, which is always a bad sign and was a big advocate of progressivism as as president. For him, the notion that wherever there is a problem, the government will provide a solution started us on the horrible road to bigger and bigger government, which by definition is worse and worse for a society. Why does he top FDR in that context of because big government? Because FDR... The, the road was paved to lead to FDR. And because FDR did mobilize the American people in World War II, whereas Wilson did true for World War I, but uh, I think he, he began the bad, the bad process. Yeah. Christopher Coldwell, fantastic uh, polemic, wrote a book about um, the Civil Rights Act. And it's called The Age of Entitlement. It's, it's about America in the 1960s. And he makes the argument that the Civil Rights Act of 1964 created a dual constitution, which, um, which, which suppressed and supplanted the original constitution, in which discrimination and affirmative action and all of these values and policies um, became prevalent in American society. Do you think that Lyndon Johnson is to blame for much of America's problems today? Yes, why? Especially, especially uh, the out of wedlock black problem, and and then Hispanic, and then white. He basically said, "You know, you don't have to get married. The government will marry you. The government will support you." And people said, women said, "Fine." Yeah, he did a lot of damage. Tom Sowell has all the data, the great, 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 great black American historian and economist uh, about how in the 1930s, black out-of-wedlock birth rates were lower than whites in the 1930s. Have you got any other thoughts on Johnson? I mean, do you think that he was, he was obviously a transform, transformational president in many ways, and he sort of ramped up um, troops in Vietnam, but also passed all of these civil rights legislation as well. Do you think, he, do you see him as a kind of, as a pivotal moment in the 60s? He was, but FDR was a pivotal moment. What Democrat was not a pivotal moment? Seriously. Jimmy, Jimmy Carter, I don't know. Possibly. He was only four years. Harry Truman, so can we have? problem. Truman is the one I could best live with. Truman loved America. Truman was down to earth. Truman said the buck stops here. Truman dropped the, the bomb, the bombs on Japan that were morally necessary. But uh, when you compare them to Calvin Coolidge and Ronald Reagan, two giants of the Republican Party, there's no, they have nothing comparable. Are you a fan of Hoover? I, Hoover, as everyone would acknowledge, is a mixed bag. And he had some bad luck with the Depression and so on. So I, I haven't formulated my my thinking on him like I have on Coolidge, for example. Coolidge was a giant because 
what was his, he had some very funny lines something to the effect of and this is a just a paraphrase the less the government does the better which was revigorated reinvigorated by Ronald Reagan the, the government uh, what is it the, the government uh, hurts you more than it helps you but he had a, he had a pithy way of saying it what what did he say the worst words you can hear from someone at your door we're here from the government to help you. I mean, so the understanding that, oh yeah, this was Reagan. The government is the problem, not the solution. That was his famous line. So uh, for, for Johnson and Wilson and Carter and Biden, uh, the government is the answer. What about Nixon? I mean, he, he wasn't... Insane. I'm not a fan of Nixon. Uh, interestingly, I, I, I never quite understood in what way, other than anti-communist, he was a conservative. And liberals were were anti-communist too. Truman was anti-communist. Do you think McCarthy was right, by the way? I don't know. You're asking me... Uh, Sorry, I'm throwing questions at you. <laughs> yes, I, 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 I appreciate that. The I need to read more to give you a, a good answer. I thought... Much of my life, McCarthyism, you know, evil. And then I realized I've been lied to so much by the left that maybe I've been lied to about McCarthy. Maybe I haven't. So I haven't made up my mind yet. It's fascinating because there are so many Americans who were communists in the 50s, 30s, 40s. I mean, one person I was studying recently is a guy called Edgar Snow. Um, well, it's debatable whether he was a full sort of member of the Communist Party or whatever, but he was a, an American journalist who was in China during the 1930s and he followed Chairman Mao, mm -hmm. or as he was Mao, Mao Zedong at the time, um, on his long march. And he basically created propaganda for, for Mao. At the very least, he was a propagandist. Right. Um, at the worst, he was a, a, a communist. And he had a, a lot of influence in the White House among certain officials around FDR. And this influenced American policy in terms of Chiang Kai-shek and, and um, Mao right. after the Second World well, War. That's so before McCarthy, though. Well, I know it's before McCarthy, but I think the point is, is that there are there were many Americans who were conservatives, as there were many British people who were, sorry, who were um, communists, as there were many British people in the establishment who were communists yes. at the time. And people so want to deny this. That Yes, you're 100% right. The, que the only question why I have any ambivalence about answering your question about McCarthy is, I don't know how many people he attacked who were not worthy of being attacked. I don't know. It might be zero. There might be a large number. So that's the only reason. But the idea that there were communists, pro-communists, how did, how did Stalin get the nuclear bomb? From Americans. And Brits. Well, it was from a, I think it was a German scientist who was a, a British citizen. Yes. Um, who unfortunately well, he was, uh, was a communist. Yeah. Mr. Prager, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a delight. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this show and are interested in hearing more episodes like it, please follow this podcast and drop us a review. If you have any suggestions of people you would like to be interviewed, you can let us know via the Apple Podcasts app. We love our pets, but when the floor is covered in fur, that's harder to love. Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has powerful 8,000 PA suction to make hair vanish from floors in just one pass. Plus, the roller brush has automatic detangling for easy hands-free maintenance. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799.